HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Brooklyn Slate, brooklynslate.com. I'm Damon Bolte, host of The Speakeasy. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Thank you so much for tuning in once again to the Heritage Radio Network. We are coming to you, as always, live from the back of Roberta's Pizza here in Bushwick, Brooklyn. You're, of course, listening to The Farm Report. I'm your host, Aaron Fairbanks. And we are joined on the line today by Tog Braun of Maine Dayboat Scallops. Tog, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to talk to you because I have to confess in advance, I know very little about scallops. Um, Well, I can change that for you. (laughs) (laughs) By the end of this half hour, I expect that to be uh, quite different. Well, that being said, I want to start with a kind of basic question, which is, you know, what is a scallop and and what are we talking about when we're talking with you about Maine dayboat scallops? Okay. Um, I I deal exclusively with Maine scallops. When we're talking about scallops, it is, um, I mean, the genus and species is Placopectin magellanicus, if you want to go that far. It's a sea scallop. Um, the vast majority of U.S. sea scallops come in from the federal fishery, and I deal exclusively with Maine scallops. The Each state has jurisdiction from its shore out to three miles. And then the federal waters are from three miles out to 200. So all of the scallops that we're, you know, we're talking about today come from Maine's inshore fishery. Um, and we produce a super premium gourmet product, but the traditional distribution system really isn't capable of delivering it to consumers in that state. So I'm on a mission to change the way Maine scallops are distributed so that Maine fishermen can get a better price and consumers can get a better product. So that's, that's basically what I'm all about. Awesome. So talking about a sea scallop, um, can you tell me, like, if I'm holding one in my hand, fresh out of the water, what am I looking at? Well, if you're holding it, if you're a consumer and you're holding it fresh out of the water, you're only going to be, you're only going to have the adductor muscle. What what most people think of as a a scallop, that little disc of flesh-colored meat, um, is actually just the muscle that's used to open and close the shell. 
the scallop itself is a bivalve, so it's a, when you look at shell oil, that, that shell that's on there, the pretty, mm-hmm. um, what people think of as the shape of a shell, that's actually a scallop shell. So there's a lot more to the scallop that we generally don't consume in the United States. And is, is that, I mean, is that stuff being eaten somewhere else? In other parts of the world, they eat the whole scallop, and then the roe is actually um, a very much prized in Asia and in France and in Italy and, and the parts of the United Kingdom. It's it's a really good product. You probably would bore your listeners too much if I uh, describe exactly why we don't use it here in the United States. To make a long story short, um, scallops are susceptible to red tide, just like other bivalves, and the roe can at times be dangerous. So to play it safe, generally it's just discarded. However, it is a very good, tasty product, and we're trying here in Maine to have uh, to be able to sell it in the near future. Some aquaculturists are growing it, and because they're able to grow it under uh, very closely monitored conditions, you know, they should be able to sell it safely. Well, that kind of leads me into the next question of when we're talking about scallops, are we always talking about something that's wild, or can you farm scallops and you know, I mean, how, how, what's the difference there if there is one? You certainly can farm scallops, but in the United States, it's done very rarely. We have actually, uh, we're just starting an aquaculture industry for scallops along the coast of Maine. But the U.S. sea scallop industry is a huge industry, and it is composed entirely right now of wild-caught scallops, uh, 99.9% of which are caught by draggers. And very small, very, very small percentage of the scallops that are out there are actually caught by divers. And we can get into that later if you want. That's one of my pet peeves is the amount of scallops that are labeled diver scallops that are not caught by divers. I definitely, I definitely want to talk about that a little bit more. <laughs> um, but before we get there, I, I want to continue my exploration of the scallop itself. Okay, no worries. Um, <laughs> one of the other things I was reading about um, with regards to some of the sustainability measures with regards to harvest, they're talking about scallop ring size. What is that? The rings are on the drag, and that is what... Um, it's dragged along the bottom and sort of scrapes the top few centimeters of the bottom, including any scallops that are there. And it's, a ring is a metal ring, and the scallops can fall through it if they're smaller than the size of the ring. So if you have a drag with four-inch rings, presumably you're not going to get any scallops that are smaller than a four-inch shell size. So that's intended so that rather than bringing up everything that comes up, everything that you catch, um, or everything that you come into contact with, you're only going to be bringing up the larger scallops. As the drag comes up, the smaller items will will fall out. So you're not bringing everything up and then having to toss it overboard and exposing it to the cold air uh, and stressing it. It's leaving those scallops on the bottom. So it's just it, it's for sustainability to protect the species. That makes sense. And what can you give us like a brief like life cycle of a scallop? I mean, how long does it take to get kind of the the kind of scallop as we know it um onto our plate what's the what's the life cycle kind of look like i can give you a snapshot i have to i have to say right up front that i am an expert on scallop management and uh learning more and more about scallop distribution uh but i manage the fishermen not the fish so i I cannot get into all the you know various pedivelliger stages and all that but no 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 i i want like like, yeah yeah broad strokes broad strokes (laughs) broad strokes well broad a very broad stroke is that it's going to take between three and four years for a scallop to be to go from spat which is just you know a larval stage to on your dinner plate 
Got it. That makes sense. Um, and now one of the other things I want to talk about before we move into kind of how, how scallops are harvested is when we're talking about scallops, can we talk a little bit about kind of um, the quality markers? Um, you know, one of the things I know that, you know, you talk a lot about on your site and makes your product so special is obviously time from the, mm -hmm. you know, from the boat to, you know, our, our dinner plates, but also, um, you, you see scallops sometimes listed as, as dry scallops. So can you talk a little bit, like what are the quality demarcators within the scallop industry that are mm -hmm. kind of like recognized and then where I think are there some kind of gaps in that kind of language and space? As a consumer, sure. like how am I thinking about this? One of the things that is actually very unfortunate is that I can talk to you about what you want to see in a scallop and what you, you know, what you want to have listed, one of the major thing is that you want it to be dry. The problem is, is that there's no one out there patrolling those claims. So you could have a soaking wet scallop that's been soaked in dry polyphosphates for days, and if they put dry scallops on there, unless you know what you're looking for, and it can be very hard to tell sometimes, you could buy that and then nothing's going to happen to that, that person that sold you it. So you, you want to have um, scallops that are labeled dry, because that means that they haven't been soaked in solutions of any sort, or it should mean that they haven't been soaked in any solutions. Why? Uh, so dry, yeah, why would someone, why would you soak it in a solution anyway? Um, well, the main reason is that scallops are sold by weight, and they're like sponges. So if you, let's say you buy 100 pounds of scallops, and you soak it in even warm water overnight, the next day you can sell 120 pounds of scallops. Got it. Got it. So, and there are other reasons as well. Um, there are some phosphate solutions that, and this is this is the honorable reason. Sometimes people put them in these solutions to preserve shelf life. It it helps them retain moisture. In addition to sucking up additional moisture, what moisture is in there, it helps them hold on to it so that they don't dry out over time. So it can be used as a preservative also. It's not all bad reasons. Sure. And it helps things stay juicy. When you buy a chicken, often a rotisserie chicken, the reason it's, you know, in the stores, the reason it's so juicy is that it's got phosphate solutions in it to help it retain those juices. And, of course, you know, there's obviously, like, a spectrum along the quality, uh, along the, you know, there's, like, a, a spectrum of quality, and there's, like, a variety of markets. Um, so mm -hmm. I think for consumers, it's really, like, for us, like, knowing kind of, like, what we're getting and making sure that we're paying kind of the fair price. And similarly, for the fishermen, that they're the quality that they're bringing in is being recognized and kind of compensated for. Um, I mean, that's what I'm all about. But really what consumers should be looking for, they should look at the color of the scallops. If they're all, you know, bleached white looking, they probably have been tampered with. Ideally, you want to go for day boat scallops because those are caught on vessels that go out and come back in the same day. Um, that means when you have the majority, so 95% of the scallops from the federal fishery are caught from trip boats that go out for a week or so at a time and come back with tens of thousands of pounds of scallops. Um, some of those scallops were caught at the beginning of the trip, so they're going to be quite a bit older than the scallops that are coming in from a day boat. So dry is something to look for. Day boat is another thing to look for. I would say don't look for diver scallops because the majority of, of diver scallops 
Um, and I don't have any evidence, I don't have any you know, studies on this, but when you look at how many diver scallops are produced in the United States versus how many scallops are labeled diver scallops, you know there's something very hinky going on. Right. And chefs in the know will say that quite, you know, they'll admit that, that they're being sold scallops that are, you know, they claim to be diver scallops, but there's no way to tell. What happened is, um, Folks here in Maine, actually, brown trading marketed diver scallops in the 90s, and they were really big and, you know, very good quality day boat product. And then it sort of came to be the practice that any large scallop would be labeled diver scallop because they could charge a higher, I'm not saying brown trading than this, they actually are very good about what they do, um, but a lot of other less honorable companies will label things diver scallops, diver scallops, because they can command a higher price. Got it, got it. So, um <clears throat> I want to like move move on to kind of how we are harvesting scallops. Sure. So from what I read, from somewhere around like the 1880s up until about the 1970s, the primary way to harvest scallops was the the drag method. And then yep. in the 70s, people started diving, and I'm assuming that's because like the the technology didn't exist to make that super feasible beforehand but um... right there wasn't a lot of scuba gear around there and and it's i want to make it sure people know that it's that uh the dredge or the drag is still the primary way of harvesting scallops got it so can you take us through the the drag process like what like what does that actually mean what what am i like putting into the water and and how does that work um, I wish now I wish I had a fisherman with me that could describe this a lot better than I could. <laughs> um, but basically, you've got a large. Um, it's, it's a drag. It's, you can actually go onto my website and see see them. It's got metal and uh, wire components, and it drags across the the uh, ocean floor and brings up what it comes into contact that doesn't fall through the rings. Got it. So that's like what the rings we were talking about earlier yeah. are set at a size. So and so that's the primary way that scallops are caught. Now, why you know why why dive for scallops at all? I mean, it also seems like kind of very cold and unpleasant work, frankly. Well, they have dry. So I mean, we do have some divers here in Maine. We've got, I believe, it's a little over a hundred licensed divers. Not they're they're not all active, uh, but just because they can and they can go out there and. Um, they can get a good price for their scallops. It's certainly not nearly as efficient as, as a drag is. Um, the primary way is to go with the drag, but, you know, the divers that are out there, there was a sea urchin industry. Uh, the, uh, the dive industry for scallops also increased quite a bit when we had a bit of a gold rush with urchins here in Maine. So a lot of folks were going into the water to harvest urchins, and then when they overfished the urchin fishery, they switched over to scallops. So, I mean, the reason that folks can collect a higher price for diver scallops, I'm going to assume, is because if you're literally picking, like, one scallop up at a time, you're able to essentially select for particular traits that are, are worth more on the market. Is that more well, or less? Well, they tend to go for the larger scallops. Mm-hmm. Um, so, And size is something that commands a higher price. Generally, you're going to pay more for a larger scallop. They taste exactly the same as the smaller scallops. There is, I mean, I would not be the best person to ask for this because I'm someone that deals exclusively with drag-caught scallops. There is a perception that it's more environmentally friendly. Um, it is, I mean, obviously, yes, when you have a drag, you're dragging it across the ocean floor versus the diver that's hand-picking it. However, divers are not capable of getting the quantity that the American market demands. Um, also, the top few sediments, especially in main inshore waters, are turned over regularly by tides and storms and things like that. And it's not digging deep into the uh, into the sediment. The drags aren't. 
Right. So there is a perception that divers are more environmentally um, sustainable. Uh, there's also um, some people believe that the diver scallops are going to be uh, not as stressed, so they claim that there is a difference in texture or flavor. I myself have never noticed that difference, and they say that there are, you know, there's less grit. If the scallops are rinsed properly with seawater, there's not going to be grit in them anyway. So I'm probably the last person you should be asking this because I'm someone that likes to uh, boast the, you know, the, the good points of, of dragger scallops as being just as good as diver scallops as opposed to saying that diver scallops are a step above. In my mind, as long as they're caught by day boats, they're all going to be really good quality products. What really matters is how quickly they come to market and how they're treated on the way to market, not how they were harvested. Well, I want to get a little bit more into that that kind of treatment, but we are going to take a quick break. I have I want to just clear up one point before we move to break, sure. though. So when we talk about a day boat, day boat just means that the boat has gone out and come back in within one day. So it doesn't mean, like when I'm talking about main day scallops, it, it doesn't mean that like they were they were caught necessarily like the day before. It just it just means like I can assume a higher level of freshness because I know that they weren't sitting on the yeah. boat at all. It's yeah in the in the scallop industry there are two really types of boats. There's trip boats that stay out for, for you know four five six seven eight nine ten days, and then there are day boats that go out and come back in one day. And in Maine we have sort of super day boats because our guys are limited to either ten gallons or fifteen gallons per day, so they go out and come back within a few hours. Got it. All right. So hang tight. We are going to take a short station break. and we come back, we will continue with some more Scallop Talk. You are listening to I'm Famous by Alan Wilkes. Brooklyn Slate as a business member of Heritage Radio Network. Brooklyn Slate Company is a collaborative effort from Brooklyn graphic designer Sean Tice and Parsons graduate student Christy Hedeka. After visiting Christy's family slate quarry in upstate New York in the spring of 2009, the two grabbed a few pieces for use as all-purpose boards back home in Brooklyn and began gifting pieces to friends. The response was so overwhelmingly positive that the two struck out to produce a line of slate products. We encourage you to visit brooklynslate.com to learn more. You can also get your own Brooklyn Slate care package by becoming a super fan member of Heritage Radio Network. Visit heritageradionetwork.org slash donate for more. It is so exciting to have this new medium. Posting after the jump has been a huge part of me transitioning from being a blogger to somebody who has sort of real important conversations with people in real life. My show, I, I kind of describe it as an audio trade magazine. I learn a ton from the guests every week, whether it's, it's restaurants, bars. All the hosts at Heritage all come from different perspectives. Everyone should be listening to this. If you're interested in conservation and and practical approach to renewable food sources, you know, not this big industry. Whether it's history, uh, laws, social policies of food, 
I think people now take food seriously, and hopefully what's on their plate will become something very special. And I feel that podcasting has a future, giving people information in a format they can really use on the go. We need your support to keep these conversations going. To donate, visit heritageradionetwork.org backslash donate. Hello, this is Mark Ladner from Del Posto, and you're listening to Heritage Radio Network. And we are back. You've tuned into the Farm Report, and we are on the line with Togue Braun of Maine Dayboat Scallops, getting a quick education in the world mm-hmm. of Maine sea scallops. So, Togue, I want to move forward and talk a little bit about the the scallop fishermen and fisherwomen, and um, but I thought. We should probably start by talking a little bit about the seasonality of scallops and, sure. and and kind of what that means and how that's changed in recent years. Okay. Well, I mean, sea scallops from the federal fishery are available year-round. So the product that I have, Maine Day Boat Scallops, that is definitely seasonal. Um, we have a fishery here in Maine that takes place over 70 days between December and March. This year we're actually going as late as April 11th as long as the stock can support it. So our season here in Maine has always been timed so not to conflict with the lobster fishery. We mentioned before the break that the primary way that scallops are harvested is by draggers, so they're dragging things through the water. And if there are a lot of lobster traps in the water, they're going to haul up those traps, and those lobstermen aren't going to be very happy. And you've probably heard about (laughs) uh, lobstermen that... they, they're very territorial, and they don't want their stuff uh, tampered with, understandably. So actually, before I started at the Department of Marine Resources, we really didn't manage the scallop fishery for the sake of scallops. We managed it just to prevent the fishery from interfering with the lobster fishery. So that's why it occurs in the winter when lobstermen are not as active. So you can get, I can occasionally offer main scallop, main boat scallops, and other times of the year, that I get from a very small portion of the federal fishery. It's called the Northern Gulf of Maine fishery, and I won't bore everybody with details, but basically it's a very small fishery that happens fairly close to Maine shore but still in federal waters. But the majority of my scallops come in during the state water season. And we bring in about, in the past couple of years, we've brought in a little over 400,000 pounds of scallops between December and March. And that contrasts with the federal fishery where you get around 45 million pounds that come in over the course of the year. So we're about one one-hundredth the size of the federal fishery, and we primarily come in in the winter. Got it. Got it. So, yes, a much smaller number. Um, well, and, and a control number, obviously. Now, you mentioned uh, earlier that there is a limit to how much um, any individual, is it person or boat? Or can you talk a little bit about the, the sure. limit and how that was set? Sure. We license, excuse me, we li- license the fishermen here in Maine, but the limit applies to the boat. So one boat can bring in, if they're fishing in Cobscook Bay, they can bring in 10 gallons, and that works out to be approximately 90 pounds. If they're fishing anywhere else in the state, they can bring in 15 gallons, and that works out to be approximately 135 pounds. So the license belongs to the fishermen, but the limit applies to the boat. So you can't put 10 fishermen on a boat in Cobscook Bay and bring in 900 pounds, you can still only bring in 90 pounds. And we came up with those limits because, to make a long story short, I mentioned that when I when I started uh, as a fisheries manager here in the state of Maine, I worked from 2007 to 2011 at the Department of Marine Resources. And when I got on board, the scallop fishery had collapsed, and 
I said, well, you know, what are we doing here? And the department realized before I got there, even that we needed we needed to do something about scallops. But I sort of became obsessed with it when I came on board, and decided we need to really actively manage this to bring the resource back because these this is a resource that really, if you leave it alone, it'll come back. It's not like other fisheries resources where you never know what's going to happen. If you leave the resource alone, it'll come back and it'll reward you with landings down the line. So when I was there, we did a number of things. We cut the length of the season in half. We applied a daily limit. Um, we limited the number of licenses. And most importantly, we closed roughly 20% of the coast as conservation closures to allow the resource in that area to come back. And we really came up with the limits in consultation with the fishermen, trying to figure out, okay, what makes economic sense? You know, we want this to be able to give you income in the winter months, but we, we, you know, we don't want you to be able to go out there and overfish it quickly. So it was sort of a back and forth with industry trying to figure out whether we wanted a few guys to be making a lot of money or a lot of guys to be making a little bit of money. And generally the consensus was we want a lot of guys to be able to get a limited amount of income to get them through the winter months because a lot of guys depend on scallops in the winter when they're not lobster fishing. I probably gave you more information than you needed there, but that's the story of the limits. Well, yeah, no, and I think, like, you talk about that kind of, like, uh, that tension uh, of harvest, and that was kind of, like, my next question with regards to the kind of who are these scallop fishermen. I mean, obviously, it's a limited season. It's a limited harvest, you know, each day of that season. So folks who, uh, who fish and harvest scallops, you know, what what's their kind of makeup? Is it is it generally off season lobster fishermen or yeah. do people like they're like oh I just do scallops or like what's the kind of you know norm for a scallop fisherman? The norm in Maine, the norm for for a scallop fisherman is the norm for a Maine fisherman in general. We we here in Maine tend to have we have a diversity in our fisheries. Um, you know, people aren't going out there and just making their income off scallops. They can't because it's just a winter fishery. But, you know, through the years in Maine, we tend to have smaller boats, not large boats. And those smaller boats switch between fisheries over the course of the year, depending on what's available. Right now, um, I don't have the figures in front of me, but I believe it's something like 80% of the value of Maine's fisheries comes from lobster. We're largely dependent on the lobster resource. That's not how it used to be. The lobster resource really exploded starting in the 1990s. Prior to that, most Maine fishermen prosecuted a number of different fisheries over the course of the year. So they might go for lobster in the summer and fall, scallops and shrimp in the winter, you know, flatfish in the spring. Um, so people, scallop fishermen here in Maine, almost always do something else. And it's just a way to get them through the winter. And they're fishing small boats. I mean, really, you don't you don't want to take a large boat out if you're only going to be bringing in 90 pounds at a time. So they're small boat fishermen, mostly lobstermen as well, um, just trying to get through the cold main winter, to be honest. Right. So it's just kind of like a like a, a part of the kind of income puzzle, if you will. It's part of the income puzzle, but I would say it's yeah, – I wouldn't want to say, oh, it's just a small piece because in the winter, there's not a lot else to do in right. Maine. And so this is a very important portion of their income. And that's why I'm doing what I'm trying to do is you know, we, we are very dependent on the lobster resource here. I'm trying to help these fishermen make more income from other species, and we've got a great product and if we could just get it to market in the state that it deserves to get there in, you know, the consumers would benefit and these fishermen would benefit it too. You know, they're getting paid, other than from me, they're getting paid a commodity price 
for a premium product, Perfect. and that's what I'm trying to change. Yeah. Well, I know I haven't been lucky enough to to buy scalps from you um, a couple of times. Um, most of them like never really make it very far. I'm like literally snacking them out of the bag with like a little pinch of salt or something. But um, why don't can you talk a little bit about kind of the work that you've done with regards to um, preserving that product and marketing that product after the fishermen have done their work? Sure. Um, I, I hesitate to say to make a long story short because it's hard for me to do that. But basically, the traditional scallop supply system is established to handle large boats coming in with thousands of pounds at a time to a few large ports, you know, New Bedford, Boston, a few other places, Gloucester, um, primarily New Bedford. We've got small boats coming into the very far northeast corner of the country with a small amount of scallops. And so the traditional system would take all of those scallops and lump them together and go through three or four steps on their way to consumers. So they would lose their amazing quality by the time they reach consumers. What I do is I meet the fishermen at the dock, I take their scallops, I package them up, and I ship them out within 24 hours, or I deliver them within usually 48, sometimes 72 hours. So I'm getting these scallops to people within days of harvest, and they never touch fresh water. One of the things that happens on the large vessels is, and also what a lot of the dealers they're stored in cloth bags that are buried in ice. Well, when the ice melts, it soaks into the scallops, so the moisture content of the scallops is, can be significantly raised. When you get a main day boat scallop, you're getting pure scallop. So you mentioned, you know, you notice the difference in flavor. Yeah, and we texture, produce, too. Oh, yeah, we produce, so it's, it's denser. We produce denser scallops here in Maine anyway because our waters are so cold. Um, just as oysters from different areas can have different flavors, I notice a difference in between different bays here along the coast. We produce a really good quality scallop. It's a cold water, good quality scallop, and then I treat it the way it should be treated so it never has anything additionally added to it. So when you bite into it, you're tasting pure scallop. I've got a number of people that have told me, you know, wow, I didn't know that's what scallops were supposed to taste like. And that's why it's really important for me. I want to get as many people as possible to try them mm-hmm. because it's very difficult to explain how different it is. You really do need to taste it to taste the difference. I have a, a tagline, taste the difference today makes, and it, it really does make a difference. <laughs> so um, after, you know, the fishermen have done all their hard work and you've done all your hard work and we're home with our, you know, bag of scallops. What are, you know, what's your recommended way to enjoy them? I mean, I know folks. Simply. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to put too much on them because they're so good. Like I, I actually, um, I have some recipe cards that I made up and I went around and asked fishermen, you know, what's your favorite way to, to serve scallops? Because I wanted to be able to send those out with some of my packages. And almost all of them said, oh, I just saute them and eat them. You know, a lot of guys like them just raw, just like that. <clears throat> Excuse me, right? You know, they're out on the boat and they're eating them. When my father helps me um, helps me sort through some scallops sometimes, he'll always be eating, you know, eat, eating the, the small pieces that we take out. They're good just as they are. I like them pan-seared in, in butter. I've got a couple good recipes on my website. One of them is scallops, scallops. Um, it's from an old Fanny Farmer cookbook that was taken out after, like, 19, the 1953 edition. Um, and it's got cream and a little bit of crumbs on top. Um, there are lots of different, you could, of course, wrap them in bacon. Um, I like them pantry with butter, and then you put a little honey or maple syrup on top of it, mix that around, and then put crumbs on. You basically just want to do something really simple so that you can taste the pure scallop flavor. The difference a day makes. 
(laughs) So, Doug, I know, I believe you're on your way down uh, to some lucky folks here in New York City who are going to be able to kind of connect with you to, to get scallops, but... How is you know how can folks find you? How can they enjoy scallops um, if they're not in the New York area? Okay, well, if they're not in the New York area, the best way to do to get my scallops is to go to my website, which is www.maindayboatscallops.com. But I do want to point out that if anyone wants to just try them, then they should come tomorrow to Luke's Lobster's Midtown location. I'm going to be there between five to seven, offering free samples. Free scallops, folks. You heard it here on the Farm Report. Well, till we are out of time, thank you so much for giving us that great scallop primer, and uh, good luck this season. Okay, thank you very much, Erin. I really appreciate the opportunity to give a little education on Maine Day Boat scallops. I think you've definitely wet some whistles out there. So, okay, cool. thank you. <laughs> Once again, if folks want to um, learn more about Togue's work, um, catch up on some profiles of the fishermen that she works with and of course order some scallops visit that website www.maindayboatscallops.com thank you so much this has been another episode of the farm report this show like all 39 of our weekly programs is available for free you can find us on itunes or stitcher please subscribe it's uh, super helpful to to subscribe to the podcast leave a comment We are in the midst of our year-end funding drive, so if you believe in our work, we hope you will show it by becoming a member today. Visit our website, www.heritageradionetwork.org. Click that Donate tab and become a member today. Thank you so much for listening, and stay tuned in. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.